The following is brought to you by the Leave It in the Ring Podcast Network. All boxing, no filter. Fisgianados with Evan Rutkowski. He's a good boy, you know. Hello, fight fans. It is Wednesday, February 20th, and this is the Fistianados podcast. I'm your host, Evan Rutkowski, former HBO sports marketing executive giving you my take on what's happening in the sport of boxing, on your screen, and behind the scenes. Email me at fistinados at yahoo.com. Follow me on Twitter at fistinatospod. Let's jump into it this week. We are going to do actually a, a, a bit of a longer review section. There's been a lot of fights, and actually, quite frankly, there's a longer preview section because this upcoming weekend, February 23rd, there's just a ton of crappy boxing on, so we'll talk about that too. But I had initially planned a different deep dive. We will get that next episode. This episode, we're going to jump right into the big news in the heavyweight division uh, and talk a lot about that. You're going to get a thorough breakdown there. So before that, though, let's go into the review. On Saturday, February 9th, on Showtime, Gervonta Davis wins by KO1 over Hugo Ruiz. Also on the card, Mario Barrios beats Richard Zamora by KO4, and then Javier Vertuna, uh, Fortuna wins by a relatively close unanimous decision over Sharif Bogaray. Erickson Lubin beats Ishe Smith on the streaming portion of the card by KO3 in a fight that I found fairly interesting going in, at least. The show does an average of 429,000 viewers, peaking at 486,000 viewers. It should be noted, there was strong competition from the UFC on ESPN in the preliminary card to the pay-per-view fight this night. The Alliance of American Football League, which actually, be, I mean, it just shows you how strong football is, it beat uh, the NBA on ABC, which is the other strong competition from this, should also be noted that this is not Gervonta Davis's fault that he ended up fighting Ruiz and kind of getting this sort of below average rating for Showtime. Very pedestrian rating. Um, he was supposed to fight Abner Mares in what I think would still have been a mismatch, but probably a more competitive one and one with a bigger name. I don't fault Showtime here for this rating. I rather what I'd say is. I think they were put in a tough spot for a couple different reasons. And this even goes back, I mean, it sounds like they were sort of boxed into Pacquiao's weird pay-per-view date in January, which really deprived them of an opportunity to put on a higher profile fight on the network to kick things off, which then put added pressure on this card to succeed. And Mara's had that terrible injury. And so now we're just, we're seeing a lot of boxing from Showtime in sort of this part of February and the first part of March, 
um, and even some showbox in January if you count that. I've, I think we've seen a lot of filler, not enough higher level fights, but hopefully that will change soon. Um, you know, the other note from this fight, I think it just took too long to get to the main event for a triple header that had a 10 round, uh, fight and then two early KOs. Like we just don't need this long of a broadcast. Um, all in all, not that entertaining of, of, of a night for Showtime, <clears throat> but at least there were some KOs and fans didn't have to see sustained beatings. And like I said, not, I don't fault them for the way, like the sort of weird circumstances that have brought them to this point, but certainly not the start of the year that they had last year. Really, and even really that, like their March last year was great there, but Anyways, on to other stuff, on to DAZN, which also on Saturday, February 9th, we had one of the coolest stories I've seen in the sport in the last few years where Andrew Cancio beats Alberto Machado by KO4. Also on the card, Ray Vargas beats Franklin Manzanilla to defend his junior lightweight title. Uh, Jojo Diaz won as well. And just from a pure human interest story, Cancio is amazing, and like to use the, the cliche, it's like an only in boxing type of deal. You know, I know at this point this happened a week and a half ago. Yeah, I'm sure like this has been covered at length. You know, what I do want to emphasize here is from a business side of things in the sport, this is life changing for Cancio. I'm sure. People have heard that he's got the day job, jackhammering, he runs in the morning, he spars at night with long drives. Great story. And no doubt, he's achieved what I'm sure was a lifelong dream by winning a world title that no amount of money can replace for him. But what I want to talk about in terms of tangible ways that his life has changed, there is no doubt in my mind that he will make somewhere between six and eight hundred thousand dollars over his next three fights, and that's if he loses all of them. Titles are in high demand in this market, and guess what? So are former titleists to make big fights for other fighters. Like, even in the state of California, with high taxes and high, like, housing prices and all that kind of stuff, Cancio will likely walk away from this fight where he earned, like, 70K in his next few fights, and he's going to own a nice house and probably be able to own a business or some other properties if he wants to. Like, I'm not saying he'll never have to work again, but he's going to get a huge head start on his fiscal future in a real way. And if he wins a fight or two in the future, he'll likely make over a million dollars or even more. Andrew, if you're listening and you seem to like your day job, here's what I'd encourage you to do. Take a leave of absence. Don't quit. Don't go back, though. Like, go back, buy your buddy's breakfast sandwiches or whatever you're going to do. Take After that, take a leave of absence. Take your next two fights very seriously with your training. Because if you win one of them, I promise you, you're going to be a millionaire. And if you win a few of them and you're smart with your money, then you can set up your family very well for the future. Even if you really like your day job and you want to keep it, like, don't quit. Take a leave of absence. I can promise you, though, you're going to like collecting rent checks or annuity checks or whatever it is a lot more than jackhammering. Now, had Cancio lost this fight, 
he'd probably look back on boxing as a nice little side gig where he made some solid money, paid a few bills, fought on t- TV, you know, got to, you know, bounce his grandkids on his knee and talk about that time when he was really a, a contender. But now he's a champ. I mean, this is an amazing story. It's so much fun. And I'm paying attention to it. I mean, Andrew Cancio, let's see it. Let's see a big fight on the Canelo Jacobs undercard May 4th. All right. On Sunday, February 10th, from Fresno, California, ESPN put on a very TV-friendly card where Jose Ramirez beats Jose Zapata to win his WBO junior lightweight belt by a majority decision. Ray Beltran beats Hiroki Okada by KO9. Both fights were very entertaining and very close. I think this was an interesting experiment run by ESPN to see how boxing would do after the NFL season is over. And mind you, on a night that has turned into the top viewing uh, night on TV, the viewership results are somewhere in that okay, fine, below average type of range. It's 655,000 viewers. You know, and a couple of things to talk about here. I mean, first, inevitably, this is going to get compared to that FS1 card that featured Caleb Plant on Sunday nights, which I, you know, I think that's been one of the real ratings bright spots in 2019 so far. Um, both TV events need context here. I mean, for the FS1 card, it can't be understated how difficult it is to start up a new brand on a new channel. But it also needs to be mentioned that the promotion got the promotion that happened. You know, the on-air promotion during the NFL games, which were like the highest TV-rated games of the year, was also super key. Um, But it's still, that FS1 card really outperformed uh, the ESPN card. So for that part, big advantage to FS1. Um, We'll find out this weekend. I mean, granted, it'll be Saturday night, not Sunday night. But we'll find out this weekend how much of an advantage that in-game promotion was during football you know, for the fight, which basically has the same level of fighters in, that are going at it this Saturday night. Like, you know, guys you may, you know, hardcore fans have heard of and, and maybe have seen, but to casuals, relatively unknowns. We'll see how that does. Anyways, from just from an overall standpoint, I'd love it if boxing was able to regular to regularly do shows on Friday and Sunday nights. I think uh, that opens up a lot of new gateways for the sport in, in the TV world. I think we there's too much of a focus right now on Saturday night, and, and, and there's a heavy competition for it, but there needs to be some other nights. And, and you can also just say that at a certain point, you know, Sunday night is tough when there's this much boxing on Friday and Saturday night. So, you know, it can go both ways, but not 655,000 viewers isn't great. You'd expect better. Okay. On Friday, February 15th from Minnesota, ESPN televised Rob Brant's KO11 win over Kassan Baisangurov for Brant's WBA regular middleweight title. Also in the card, Josh Greer beat Giovanni Escaner by KO8, and then Michaela Meyer won an eight-round unanimous decision. This show peaks, or this show averages 730,000 viewers, peaking at 769,000 viewers. On the surface, does better than the card on February 10th from ESPN, 
but let's dig into it a little bit. It was the 25th rated cable show of the night, and its lead-in was the Celebrity NBA All-Star Game, which averaged 1.3 million viewers and was the number three rated cable show of the night. And going in, I wasn't nearly as impressed by this fight as I was from the Sunday offering from Top Rank. But this, I will say this turned out to be a relatively fun main event, like relatively good TV for that, but not, you know, and, and we did learn something from the Greer fight. He did survive a knockdown. The Mikhail Meyer fight was, you know, it was eight rounds as fast, but again, it goes back to the Fox car. Like, I don't know how often we should be seeing eight round fights on Fox and ESPN. I mean, we didn't, we, we didn't hardly... I can't even remember if we ever saw him on HBO or Showtime. There might have been high-profile prospects that once in a while fought an eight-round fight, but it's, it's in my opinion, not something we should really be seeing on ESPN or Fox. <clears throat> Anyways, in terms of ratings for me, it was a bit disappointing because it took such a drop-off from what was a decently rated show as the lead-in. Whereas the Sunday Night Show had no lead-in at all, so it kind of had to like develop that 655,000 audience on its own. I would have actually switched the shows and done this one on Sunday night, and then done the Ramirez show on uh, Friday after that good NBA celebrity, all-star, whatever game it was, lead-in. And I think they would have uh, probably done better you know, on that Friday night show, <coughs> excuse me, at least with Ramirez and Beltran who have developed a, a fighting brand on ESPN in the last year or so. Then on Saturday, February 16th, from LA, we on Fox, we have Leo Santa Cruz winning a relatively uninteresting unanimous decision versus late replacement Rafael Rivera for Santa Cruz's WBA featherweight title. The original opponent was Miguel Flores, but Beth, let's be honest, both opponents are are essentially terrible opponents. Also on the card, Omar Figueroa beats John Molina by unanimous decision in a fight that I felt he won but was closer than the scorecards indicated. And then Sebastian Fundora beats Donnie Marshall by KO3. The show averages 1.376 million viewers, peaking at 1.75 for the main event, which is generally somewhere between terrible and really bad for for Fox. Sorry. Um, And here's the other context for that. It lost to every other network on the night, although it did beat the 8 and 9 p.m. hours of CBS. And I think it might have beaten them in one other category just in terms of men 18 to 49 uh, on the other networks. But ABC and NBC both showed reruns that beat PBC. The glimmer of hope here was that it did better than last year's P- uh, PBC card, um, which, of course, was a time buy that it should have done better than. But it did do better than that. I will say, it, the other glimmer of hope, it did face stiff competition from the NBA All-Star Game. The skills competition, which was on Turner, that did a huge 2.24 rating, over 5 million viewers on Saturday night. There were several other good college basketball games uh, on ESPN that performed pretty well. And I don't want to bash this show too much, because first of all, I've already done it quite a bit. I did it last episode. Uh, but 
here's what I'd say. This needs to be the low point for Fox in terms of what they're doing. And let's just take a, a you know, let's take a quick look at why I'm saying that. Because it's not just, I felt this was a throwaway card. Very uninteresting main event, uh, even as originally scheduled. And credit them for making a great under, <clears throat> undercard fight in that Figueroa Molina fight. But even when you look at that on the surface, these are guys that you think are going to get in a war, but then they're kind of not, the knives aren't sharpened in terms of the skill set there. They hadn't fought in a while, and guys like that you want to be fighting regularly. You know, Figueroa, I mean, he missed weight by five pounds. Like, I know he came forward the entire 10 rounds, so he clearly wasn't at least in, like, decent shape, but his body, I mean, he looked like he didn't even train for the fight. I mean, his body was soft. Like, the, you know, a, the guy I work out next to at the gym in the mornings probably had a better body than him. Like, when you go to the first fight, the opening fight, I mean, Fedora's fight just shouldn't have been televised. I mean, you saw it in the post-fight interview when he didn't even know who to call out or what to even say when he was asked a question. And honestly, like, he shouldn't have been asked that question because he's still building his career and they're going to, you know, match him up carefully. And to be really honest, I don't even blame, I think Heidi Andro was the, the, you know, the person in the ring asking the questions. I don't even really blame her because she just shouldn't have been interviewing him. I mean, that's like, why are you televising an eight round fight on a card like this? Um, I mean, it was fun that fight for the three rounds it lasted, but like it, I mean, it was just low level boxing. And then the Figueroa Molina fight was low level boxing. Now had in a different time in their careers, that might've been different. You know, two years ago, that could have been a stub hub, like war grounds fight that's, that became legendary. But right now, you know, in addition to the soft body, I mean, they, their hand speed was just off. They just weren't looking sharp. And in terms of the main event, like, I'm, I just, there's no point in hitting it too much, but let's just see Leo Santa Cruz in a better fight. Like, that's the cliche, like, but let's see it. Let's leave it at that. To Fox's credit, earlier in the day, they showed the press conference for the March 16th fight. I think that did, like, 350,000 viewers. Um, and some of their other programming actually, like, hit that, like, five or 600,000 viewer mark, um, which for network TV isn't great at all. I mean, it's really bad to be honest, but Saturday afternoon is like a wasteland for network TV. If you're not showing live, like major live football or something like that. So like, that's great. I mean, like if it's going to be infomercials or, or like, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark or something like that. And I mean, this is great. Do this instead and, and, and build up the, the pay-per-view fights. Bravo. Um, and it's an interesting tactic. I'd like to see more of it. All right. For the deep dive this episode, like I said, I was going to do a different subject. I'm reversing here. I'm going to use the timely news that Tyson Fury is signing on with Top Rank and ESPN to go into the heavyweight division over in that universe. <laughs> Excuse me. And I want to look not only at what this means for the heavyweight division, but also what it means for the three most important heavyweights. And 
really why I think Tyson Fury did it and then, you know, what it means for each broadcasting entity. I mean, just what it means for every player in this universe, including the fans and, and what you should expect from it. So let's start with some general context here because I think there's just a lot to unpack. And look, I mean, Twitter was obviously an incredibly frustrating place on Monday, but we're not on Twitter. I mean, this podcast lives in nuance and there's a lot of nuance here from a lot of different angles. I think everyone's first instinct when they heard this is, oh man, the fight won't happen next that I want to see. And I want to see that, and it sucks. And look, that's true. That was my first instinct as well. But I talked about this at the beginning of the year, that this was going to be my favorite stories to watch, the sort of what is going on in this heavyweight division. And while we may not see this fight next, or any of the big fights that we want to see next, and by the way, we still might see Wilder Fury next. We might see it in May. Either way, we're still probably going to see this fight. I'm not believing any of the numbers I heard out of the UK for for the dollars attached to this deal. Um, I do believe that they're high, though. More on that later. Um, you know, but again, one of the things I've tried to hit on <clears throat> with this podcast is that be it a network deal or be it a deal with a fighter, these are not baseball contracts that the fighter sign or the network sign, whether it's guaranteed money. Uh, this is not a five-year, $100 million contract where you get $20 million in your first year and $20 million in your second year and so on and so on, and it's guaranteed. Like These are NFL contracts. There's going to be guaranteed money, there's going to be bonuses, and there's going to be not guaranteed money, and you can get cut. Like, that's the reality here. And one of the other points I've made consistently with regards to the heavyweight division and, and Wilder versus Fury specifically is that you need to look at how the first fight came together and what it meant before you start looking at why the second fight isn't coming together right this second. You know, remember, last year at this time, Tyson Fury was a joke and weighed at least 100 pounds more than he does right now. I don't know exactly when he stopped drinking and really took his workout seriously, but I do know that no one in the boxing industry could take him seriously. Fury had no leverage when he made the Wilder fight because of all this. He had a great story to tell. He was still the lineal champion, which, as he started his comeback, meant something between... Like it was a real accolade that might mean something. And then it was just sort of somewhere between that and a marketing sentence used to make everyday fans think that his fight against Wilder was some weird sort of unification fight. I mean, the overall point here, though, is that Tyson Fury needed Deontay Wilder more than Wilder needed Fury in 2018. Tyson Fury had to clear several hurdles before he could get a financial package that was worthy of what he would have gotten just by staying sober and taking the Klitschko rematch that never happened. He needed to prove that he could lose weight and take training seriously. He needed to prove that he could remain sober and committed over a length of time like that showed the networks and the promoters that they could invest serious money in him. 
he needed to be introduced to an American audience, like in a real way at a high level, and he needed to actually train and show up for the Wilder fight and then perform in the ring. Now, I mean, Wilder needed Fury as well. I mean, remember, PBC is not really churning out high-level pay-per-view B-sides at heavyweight right now, but not in the same way that Fury needed Wilder. Long-term listeners of this show will have heard this part before, but remember, this was a really risky pay-per-view time at, you know, or risky pay-per-view at the time it was made. Credit Espinosa and Showtime for taking a huge risk here and having it pay off. I mean, let's go over why. First of all, when the deal got signed, Fury had fought some lower-level dudes, but he hadn't really looked good yet in the ring. I mean, he still looked rusty and kind of out of shape. There was no guarantee that he wouldn't fall off the wagon again and, like, truly show up and make a great fight. But he did, and the fight performed well. I mean, there were no comps for this kind of fight in recent memory. There hadn't been any pay-per-view heavyweight fights of note for quite some time. I mean, there weren't even really established metrics for the type of TV ratings that someone like Fury, who was a really well-known commodity in the UK but barely known in the US, there's not even like a a metric for what he would have done on regular TV, much less pay-per-view. And given how Eddie Hearn had sort of cornered the market on heavyweights, you know, PBC or Showtime, like they needed to do something for Wilder you know, in what was previously looked at, like, ultimately the build-up to making AJ versus Wilder. Like, that's what this was all about a year ago or a year and a half ago. And that December pay-per-view was well worth the risks for all parties involved. Wilder had done very well with his Showtime purse, but he, you know, purses, and really PBC purses, because he fought on Fox 2, But he hadn't earned a major pay-per-view purse yet, and he needed a high-profile opponent to increase his star power. Fury needed a platform to announce to the world that he was back in a real way and clearly needed the motivation from having such a big fight to get in shape and take his training seriously and turn around his life. Showtime needed to make sure that they didn't lose Wilder to DAZN because they'd been the primary force in building Wilder's career, and DAZN was the upstart streaming service that could have made their bones on streaming Anthony Joshua versus Wilder in the U.S., thereby cutting Showtime out of the equation. And this is before the Canelo money. They, they could have made a huge money offer to Wilder to come over and fight AJ, and Wilder may have had to take it. But Showtime came up with this fight. I mean, it was the perfect storm that led to what was a high risk, but ultimately a successful pay-per-view. You know, business-wise, it did, you know, somewhere between 300 and 325,000 buys, probably closer to 325, but that really doesn't matter because it clearly made money. It also did some real business in the UK. It had a decent enough gate. I mean, in terms of the fight business, like, that's not overwhelming, but that's a success, which, given the risks involved, I mean, that's a pretty big win, to be honest. And based on what happened inside the ring with the drama of the two knockouts and the semi-controversial scoring, like you had the recipe for a fiscally successful rematch. And remember, rematches on pay-per-view rarely do as well as the first fight, but this was a strong candidate to be an exception to that rule. And I think it's worth pausing here to examine 
that part of the business behind the rematch or what that would look like right now. This is another thing I've said before in the podcast, but haven't done a true deep dive into it. And this isn't original in terms of information, but the result of the fight could have, it, it just, it couldn't have gone any better for Fury in terms of his career options. There was a rematch clause where Fury beat Wilder, which would have meant Showtime would have had, you know, they would have run the fight back on pay-per-view, and it would have been great for Showtime. It would have been really good for Wilder. It would have been another good payday for him. It would have been great for fight fans. But, I mean, you talk about perfect storm. This was the perfect storm of an outcome for Fury. In the eyes of most people, Fury won the fight somewhere between winning 114 to 112 and 116 to 110, And now I don't want to dismiss the notion that there are legitimate scores where Wilder won or the fight was a draw because I didn't watch the fight to score it in which now thanks to Kurt Emhoff's podcast with Steve Weisfeld on the Boxing Esquire podcast, Steve Weisfeld's criteria for scoring a fight from home is now my Bible for doing it. And I did not do that that evening. I mean, I didn't drink. I went and watched the fight and you know, just watched it for pure enjoyment, but I certainly didn't score it the way that you should score it. But more importantly, let's set that aside. I want to establish that it's just generally accepted in the public that most people, especially those in the UK, think Fury won the fight, but the official score of the fight was a draw. And that means that Fury is not contractually obligated to do a rematch, which means he is functionally a highly sought-after free agent with a ton of leverage in a boxing world that's throwing around more money than ever. So now Fury can go around and legitimately say that he is the lineal champ, the people's champ, and a commercial draw both in the UK and the US, and he ought to get paid in a major way. If you look at what the heavyweight setup is all around the boxing landscape, this is all incredibly important because it means Fury in this moment right now has unbelievable leverage, perhaps much more leverage than anyone else out there, even Triple G. Right now, there are three undefeated heavyweights at a very high level with at least some claim to the throne. Dezona Matrim have Anthony Joshua, obviously the undisputed UK pay-per-view king. He's got three of the four belts. He's coming to the US to try to conquer the last major market that doesn't really see him as a star. Showtime has developed Wilder, who has the WBC belt, probably has some of the best power we've ever seen at heavyweight, and he can change the outcome of any fight with one punch at any moment. Fury, the lineal champ who first beat Klitschko and is now something bordering on a pop culture and boxing star in the UK. Okay, great. We all know that. DAZN, in order to really make headway in the US market, needs AJ to become a major star. Because if AJ becomes as big of a star as Canelo, DAZN is primed to succeed in a major way in the U.S. So they need to build these big fights. But even stepping away from DAZN, AJ is positioned best out of everyone. I mean, his pay-per-view status, let's put it this way. He's positioned the best out of everyone, but his pay-per-view status in the U.K. is in jeopardy if he doesn't continue to take on the biggest challenges. If Wilder was still fighting nobodies and Fury wasn't taking his boxing career seriously, AJ could just rest on his reputation as the guy who beat Klitschko and has fought a series of top 10 foes in the division. You know, he could rest on that reputation for a while. 
he and Eddie Hearn could just be playing this weird game of chess with Wilder where they're just sort of waiting out whatever time period that Wilder has to go through in order to get desperate and take the fight on to zone on AJ's terms. But once Wilder and Fury legitimized both of those fighters, it became a different race. Now AJ and Eddie Hearn have a different career phase on their hands. The most profitable route for any of these three heavyweights, and you might have to put Usyk in this same category fairly soon, the most profitable route is now a pretty narrow route. AJ has obviously made a ton of money already, but the real fiscal winner in all of this is the fighter that gets the other two while they're undefeated. And after they're all bigger stars in the U.S. Those qualifications are really key because it's an incredibly difficult pathway to nail this one. So let's take a step back here and talk about what that really means for each fighter right now because this is where it gets really complicated. Let's start with AJ. Like I said, he's already made a ton of money, but if he really wants to take it to the next level, he's gotta to come to the US, introduce himself here, become a star, and benefit from whatever distribution system offers him the best fiscal path, which is obviously either big time to zone guarantees or pay-per-view stardom where he's generating over a million buys on pay-per-view in the US. But in order to get there, it means he probably has to have at least a fight or two in the U.S. and then in no particular order fight Wilder and Fury while they're both undefeated and they each hold some kind of piece of the heavyweight title. But it's pretty important in order to hit that stardom level needed to maintain his presence both in the U.K. and the U.S. that AJ's perfect path is probably fighting Wilder on a big-time fight in the U.S. and then fighting Fury in the U.K., but after he's already an established star in the U.S., and quite frankly, after they're both already established stars in the U.S. And also remember that by going to the U.S., he's taking a, a fiscal risk because he's like probably making less money by doing that than fighting in the U.K., I mean, obviously, there are rematches out there if he loses one of them or if the fight's competitive and there is the Usyk fight, but it's a delicate balance where he needs to fight everyone while they're undefeated. So relatively soon, but after he's been properly introduced into the U S if he wants to maximize his money. Now, granted, he's already made a ton of money. So maybe he doesn't care about maximizing his money as much as other fighters, but let's talk about the other fighters right now for Wilder. It's also a weird path. Okay. He kept his WBC title and he set up what you think would be a great rematch with Fury, which now can give him a ton of momentum and increase his leverage in whatever deal terms he has for AJ. Like he has this momentum from the Fury fight, but PBC doesn't have a whole lot of other options for him. His best path would be taking the Fury fight next, winning, then probably fighting on Showtime or Fox against a lesser opponent, not on pay-per-view. And then depending on how the Fury fight ended, maybe even fighting Fury again later this year or early next year and just keep, continue to build that profile in anticipation of the AJ fight because that's the career high, day, uh, career high payday for him, assuming AJ is also built up. But then the fight with AJ would also have to be really exciting and really good where both fighters show they could win because especially for Wilder, 
his biggest paydays are going to be fighting AJ multiple times. And this is where we find the conflict. Because what is best for Wilder right now, taking the Fury rematch, is not necessarily what is best for pay-per-view buys for Wilder Fury 2 or for Tyson Fury. Let that sink in for a sec, because it's a weird concept. Wilder Fury 2, like I said earlier, is a fight that will definitely be a candidate to do better than the first one, but it will benefit from marinating. I know that's not what core fight fans want to hear, because they're at the point where they're like there's three or possibly four potentially great heavyweights right now, and then there's a second group of other heavyweights that can also make really good fights, but it's true. In the U.S. public right now, most casual fans or general sports fans, like they're just starting to learn about Deontay Wilder. Maybe they've heard the name before, they vaguely know who he is, but they're just starting to figure out, mostly based on how epic that Fury fight was, who Wilder is. That same thing is happening with Tyson Fury. And there's a lot out there on Tyson Fury. I mean, he's a real character who's fun to learn more about. If Fury was signed with Showtime, I'd even suggest there would be a real benefit for each of them in taking an interim fight and then coming back for the rematch at the end of 2019. You know, the beginning of this year has a lot of lower-level pay-per-views, and it might make sense to try and sort of just have some time and energy put into both guys getting out there, building their profile a little bit more. And this is a fight if done correctly. You could easily top 325,000 buys, maybe even almost double it on Showtime if you rolled it out the right way. But stuck in May at the end of a bunch of pay-per-views in a row, like just getting the same number of buys or maybe going up to 350 or 400K would be really good. And this is where we get into what's best for Tyson Fury, because I think this is where we can dive into the leverage that he has in a real way. Because of the aforementioned pressure on AJ to perform on the DAZN platform and introduce himself in the U.S., and because of the also aforementioned lack of options for Wilder in the Showtime and PVC universe, Fury has all the leverage here. If he's doing this right, he's playing all sides off each other, given that he's not contractually obligated to Showtime pay-per-view for this rematch. Because he's still viewed, like I said earlier, as the people's champ in the UK. And because he still has the Lanilla title, and because AJ is such a gigantic star, he could make that fight for huge money in the UK. He could also demand more at a Showtime in the US for the rematch. His pathway to success is much wider than both AJ and, and Deontay Wilder right now because he doesn't have any pre-existing relationships that truly make a difference. If he wants to become a star in the U.S., he could negotiate a big payday on regular Showtime or Fox to introduce him to a larger audience and then get better terms in that Wilder rematch. Or he could demand something similar from DAZN and they could build to AJ Fury, do that fight on pay-per-view in the U.K. and then on DAZN in the U.S., and then I haven't even gotten into where he actually ends up, ESPN, where at the very least he could know that he has someone looking out for his best interests rather than another fighter's best interests. He really holds all the cards here as long as he's sober and taking his career seriously. I mean, he's an elite self-promoter too, which means that even if he loses a fight, he'll be able to drum up support for another title challenge if, needs be, if, you know, if need be. 
This gets into the Al Heyman part of the equation, and I don't mean Al Heyman, the head of the PBC. I just mean sort of Al Heyman, the elite manager who comes up with the best fiscal pathways for his clients. Like, what happens when I put my Al Heyman hat on? So when I combine this hat with my HBO pay-per-view marketing hat, I'll just be honest with the hardcore fight fans right now. There's no scenario where the best thing for Tyson Fury to do was to fight Wilder next on Showtime. You know, that's just there's just no scenario where that was the right thing for him to do. And I mean, ironically, it's now Aram instead of Heyman that's sort of guiding the ship. But if you purely look at how to maximize <coughs> pay-per-view buys for Wilder Fury 2, then you want Fury to be given the ESPN mouthpiece and just have casuals fall in love with his trash talking. I think casuals will also fall in love with Wilder when they get to know his story. But sometimes you just need a unique way to appreciate all this and, and, and find a unique way in. And it's Tyson Fury. I mean, most people, you know, in the boxing universe right now, they're talking about Fury fighting on ESPN Plus right now. And I'm sure that'll be a component of this deal at some point. But if you purely want to look at how to maximize Wilder Fury 2, then have Fury fight on a prime regular ESPN slot. I mean, maybe give it some scheduling love or something like that. Give casuals the full Tyson Fury experience with the singing and the buildup and all that stuff. Have Wilder fight someone like Adam Kalnowski on Fox or maybe even Showtime if, you know, if promoted correctly in one of their bigger spots in front of a lot of viewers. I mean, obviously, I say this, Fox will have more casuals than Showtime, but Showtime would still have a big audience where the people watching on Showtime would be much more likely to actually buy a pay-per-view than casuals on Fox. And then you put the fight on pay-per-view in the fall. Now, I think ESPN's capabilities on this end mean that mean that a pay-per-view with some lead time, like that would be enormous. And obviously there's no guarantee that Fox or Showtime would put Wilder back on TV on, you know, on, on Fox or Showtime without paperwork guaranteeing that he wouldn't just head right over to ESPN after that. But now I'm I mean I'm more or less talking like what's the best case scenario for the actual rematch. I mean, to me, an interim fight is a better solution than just running back, you know, in May for a few reasons. The rematch becomes bigger. It makes better money for both fighters. It's not what you want to hear as a core fight fan because you just want to see the fight again, which I get. But it's better for boxing as a whole if, if the rematch becomes a bigger fight. And I think especially if it's on ESPN pay-per-view with their mouthpiece, it's a much bigger fight. I mean, it... it you like, God, you, it's, you're probably looking at double the pay-per-view buys. Like, that's in play. Even potentially more is in play. I read somewhere that Aaron was saying between a million and two million. I mean, there's pathways to a million. I don't think there's pathways to two million right now. Like, that's kind of crazy. But there's pathways to a million buys. There really are on ESPN. It's just perfectly set up to make stuff like this happen. And part of the reason the rematch would be bigger, like I said earlier, it'd still be bigger on Showtime. It's that the first fight was great, and they built it up pretty well. Like I said, it's one of those rare scenarios where the rematch is likely to do better than the first one. You know, and credit all parties for that. But ESPN's capabilities are way beyond what HBO and Showtime have. 
they just they can blow something like this up. It's, that part isn't really up for debate right now. Fox, yes, they also they're they're closer. They Fox can blow something up as well, but they don't have the same capabilities as ESPN does. Now, that scenario is just looking at Wilder Fury two in pure isolation. If we look at the heavyweight division as a whole, we start to get into the heart of the issues. You know, I think marinating helps this individual fight, and I think marinating helps the division on the whole. But, and this is a big but, not that much. And it goes back to what I mentioned earlier. We are in a really interesting game theory scenario here where it's to everyone's benefit to marinate a little. But it's also to everyone's benefit to be the first fighter out of the three to fight both of the other opponents. This is especially true for Wilder and Fury, who can do well, they can do well fighting lesser opponents on their own, but not nearly as well as AJ. So someone has to blink first. And then when you factor in the other parts of the division as a whole, like, oh man, you got a dynamic marketplace. It has been reported that Fury's deal is for as much as 80 million pounds for five fights, but honestly, like I said earlier, I don't put a whole lot of stock in that. I've listed these reasons before. That is clearly what, like, the football version of the agent putting out what the deal could be. But not what the deal is guaranteed to be. There's no way ESPN and Top Rank are paying that kind of money for Fury to fight a bunch of nobodies. Add in now that Wilder is saying that he's essentially a free agent and he can make a deal with any network, which, I mean, let's be honest, like, we don't know what that means. And then add in what I mentioned at the beginning of the year episode where... Hearn and AJ situation where I, I think Hearn is going to dangle AJ to get his next big TV deal from DAZN or Showtime or wherever. And Hearn's deal with DAZN could, could I want to emphasize, be up in a year from this September. Given that AJ is going to fight June 1st against Miller and then likely fight again this fall, probably in the UK, that means that AJ only has to get through one more lesser fight in the spring before Hearn starts shopping around the new TV deal. And remember, the other X factor here, Eddie Hearn's UK pay-per-views don't automatically go to DAZN. So he could do AJ Fury, he could do that fight in the UK in front of just over hashtag 80,000 people to break Carl Frotch's record. He could do it on UK pay-per-view in a joint pay-per-view with Frank Warren. I don't really care that they have a bad relationship for a fight like this. You, you figure it out. And then they could have ESPN Plus or ESPN do the US TV deal. I mean, you could even do this on regular ESPN after a college football game and probably get a huge audience for it. It'd probably time out well in the afternoon. Or Eddie Hearn could convince Wilder's team to do a UK pay-per-view in the UK, and then they could put it live on DAZN or Showtime, whichever bit higher. There's a lot of different ways this could go. There's also a pathway where you, like, none of them end up fighting each other for the next year, year and a half. I mean, I think that is not the most likely outcome, but it's a potential outcome. You know, like I said, it goes back to everyone benefits from marinating a little bit, but no one benefits from over-marinating. 
you still want to fight multiple guys. Like your biggest way to the your, your best pathway to the biggest paydays involve fighting the other guys as much as possible. Like the reality here, this isn't the hundred thirty pound division where there's a lot of great fights held up by network divides. I mean, yes, there's network divides now, but these network divides can be bridged if the bigger fights are built up properly because the bigger fights are big-time money now. And going back to putting my manager hat on, I don't blame Tyson Fury and his team for signing a deal with ESPN. If the shoe was on the other foot, everyone out there would have done it. And if it was PBC or DAZN who didn't have one of those heavyweight pieces, the free agent just would have signed with them. That's where he, Fury would have gone. When there's this kind of money on the line, you have to protect your financial interests because the reality is even if you lose once or twice, every party involved will get a few bites at the apple and you need to maximize those bites at the apple here. Those bites are going to give you money, legacy, and prestige like more so than everything you've done in your career up to this point. It's stupid not to get them exactly right. I know hardcore fans just want the fights, but trust me, I think they will be more fun with more casuals on board. I think there'll be certainly more money. They'll be worth waiting for. I mean, I like going into the office having and, and having other people in my office, most of whom don't care at all about boxing, and I like having other people to talk about the fights with. That's not going to happen if this rematch was taking place in April. <clears throat> and I'm not even done with this crazy deep dive yet. Because there's still all the other implications for the heavyweight division. There will, there will be an absolute race to the top for that fourth position. And I think it'll be really fun. Between Usyk moving up to heavyweight... <coughs> Dillian White rebuilding himself and being in like all these incredible action fights. Like there's a few other big European names and then what PBC and ESPN are clearly trying to do in furious attempts to develop any kind of heavyweight opponent that they can on, on terrestrial television here. There's going to be opportunities. And I do think there's a chance someone else can really go and grab a prime spot. I mean, Usyk and White are probably best positioned right now. If Usyk goes and he gets that Povetkin fight as rumored, the winner of that fight will be looking pretty good. And if White keeps winning and keeps entertaining, you know, he's also claimed to be a de facto free agent who continues to work with Hearn for one-off deals. But he just needs to stay busy and then jump on any opportunity. Because all of the big three heavyweights will face pressure at some point to get that big fight. And especially if two out of three decide to fight each other, then the pressure will really be on on the one left out to take a big fight, and White might be the most likely to get that big fight. I mean, he also, like, think about White versus Wilder. I mean, White could definitely win a decision there. He represents on the surface what appears to be the lesser of between him and Usyk in terms of skill. I mean... You know, a lot of people have Usyk in their top five pound for pound, and they wouldn't put White in that conversation at all. Um, but Usyk's moving up to heavyweight. I mean, like, there's X factors here for all parties involved. I mean, even going back to Usyk, I've loved Wilder Usyk for a while now. I mean, they're essentially the same size. And that might be a tougher 
pay-per-view sale on the surface in the U.S., but maybe not. I mean, and, you know, maybe it's just that it's got to be made on DAZN because Usyk signed with Hearn. But then again, you never know. I mean, this is this is crazy, and the pressure is going to be on Espinoza to sort of pull a rabbit out of a hat again to keep Wilder around. I mean, Dillian White could be that rabbit. There's so many possibilities here. So for clarity's sake, here's what I would do if I was in every different position out there. If I'm AJ and his team after the Miller fight, I take a serious look at what a Tyson Fury fight looks like in the fall. I make that a priority, and if it has to be aired on ESPN Plus or whatever, so be it. If the financials don't work out, then I keep that one in mind for spring 2020. AJ's opportunity cost is high if Wilder and Fury fight again, especially if AJ doesn't take a serious opponent for another fight or two. I mean, he's built, AJ's built up credibility and he's taken a very tough schedule so far in his career, but for the UK legacy, he'll need to fight Tyson Fury at some point. I mean, I would do that fight when you think about it that way and you know that that fight has to happen, I would do it. I mean, God, like almost as soon as possible. You want to do it when it's at peak earning potential, which means you got to do it probably before Fury takes on Wilder again. And certainly before, you know, I don't want to ever say that, you know, someone who's gone through the mental issues that Fury's gone through could relapse, but you want to do it before anything like that potentially happens. Let's be honest. If I'm Wilder and his team, I'd be on the phone to figure out exactly what he could get from ESPN if he's truly a free agent. Loyalty to Showtime is important, but it's not eight figures important. He also needs to do this just purely from a negotiating standpoint of creating two high-level bidders for his services in AJ and Fury. I mean, unfortunately, one of the negative side effects from all that public negotiation with Hearn is that's now given Aram a template for where the A.J. Wilder negotiations ended up. So Aram knows kind of what he needs to beat. But still, you want to figure out a way to make a big enough deal where you set a precedent for future deals. If Wilder's going to take that Fury fight and really get paid for it, you want to make sure that assuming Wilder wins, then he goes into the A.J. negotiations with more leverage. I mean, if, if Aram and ESPN are serious, then Wilder might have to take this deal. You know, negotiating in public like this doesn't always mean you're serious, but I think Aram might be like, he might be really serious here because of what I mentioned before. This is a fight that's in his best interest to make either right now or as the next fight for both guys. If I'm Fury and his team, I already made my move. And I'm just really psyched that I'm going to scrap whatever deal points I wasn't happy with when the the pay-per-view fight was at Showtime. And now I get to negotiate from a position of strength. But I want to make sure that one of my next two fights is either AJ or Wilder. I mean, taking an interim fight on ESPN Plus or ESPN or whatever, that's fine. But you got to strike while the iron's hot. If I'm Showtime and Espinoza, I'm having minor heart palpitations right now. I am gearing up the Showtime legal team. But let's be real. If there were rumors circling that Fox might have been (coughs) in play for that Wilder Fury 2 pay-per-view to be the distributor a few weeks ago, 
God, I mean, you got to guess that Wilder might be right. Or he might be however close you can possibly be to right that the paperwork isn't completely the sign the way Showtime wants it. I know Espinoza has come out publicly and said that they're very happy with where the paperwork is, but it, it doesn't feel great. In the meantime, I'm taking every meeting out there for a potential Wilder opponent, like Dillian White, and I'm desperately trying to figure out some kind of option there. And side note here, this is why networks overpay fighters, because when you're a network exec, the incentive structure is in place to make sure that fighters like Deontay Wilder that you developed don't leave for big fights. Like, that's how you get fired. And I'm not suggesting that Espinosa is in any trouble at Showtime. I don't think he is. I mean, I think he's probably been one of the best network execs in the, I mean, God, maybe since like the mid-2000s in terms of performance. But, like, this, the incentive structure is in place to overpay fighters to make crappy fights to make sure that stuff like this never happens. That's just a side note, though. If I'm zone, I'm immediately figuring out a way to lock down Triple G. That's right. I'll worry about the heavyweight stuff after June 1st when AJ makes his debut and when I get some viewership numbers. AJ isn't a star in the U.S. yet, and that AJ Miller fight happens in the same month as Canelo Jacobs. So in theory, everyone who signs up for DAZN for Canelo Jacobs can watch AJ fight in the U.S., and that will give you a great indication as to how important he is to the service. One thing I'm not doing is getting stuck in some kind of bidding war involving AJ's U.S. rights, when I can just go and get Triple G and have him fight the winner of Canelo Jacobs in September. The other factors here are that you can now pressure Triple G into signing knowing that the PBC is still offering less money and really, let's be honest, less legacy options than DAZN. And now ESPN has spent a huge chunk of their presumed budget on Tyson Fury and may not be able to make the same kind of serious financial offer anymore to Triple G. If I'm ESPN, I'm making sure that in Fury's five-fight deal, he fights Wilder and AJ. And I'm making sure that he gets a rematch with one of them, too. This is the best-case study ever to show the true power of ESPN in this sport. Showtime <coughs> saw Wilder Fury do 325,000 buys. And now you have an incredibly favorable situation to do double if not triple the number of buys that Showtime did. It'll be the best-selling tool you have to get high-level fighters to come over to the ESPN platform. But don't kid yourself. You also just bet on the horse that, yeah, it might be the best overall boxer and certainly the best trash talker, but also easily the highest variance fighter that's certainly of these three undefeated guys. So you need to ensure that the high-level matchups come your way and come your way quick. And given that a Fury fight against AJ is likely in the UK, so not on pay-per-view in the US, that puts added pressure on you to make sure the Wilder fight happens on your platform. If I'm Heyman, 
God, I'm considering all options here. It's a delicate balance with both the Showtime and Fox relationship, but you also need to let a fighter go earn a payday that you can't provide them if it's there. Heyman's done this in the past for fighters, but usually the stakes are higher. Sorry, stakes are higher here. Usually the stakes are lower. There's no question PBC was planning on using Wilder to either give Showtime or Fox content this year, be it pay-per-view, on the network, or both. And there's no question that Heyman has to toe that line in terms of keeping Fox and Showtime happy with their product and ratings, along with keeping all his fighters happy. And these are really tough spots because if Heyman and Shelly Finkel are doing their job correctly as Wilder's managers or advisors or whatever they are, they're getting him these big paydays, even if it's at the cost of upsetting networks. Finally, if I'm Usyk, I'm not letting that Pavekin fight slip away. I'm making that fight. I'm making sure it's in the UK. I'm beating Pavekin. And then I'm calling out AJ in the ring and trying to get in on that action before Wilder or Fury does. The first person to beat AJ is going to cash in multiple times after that. They'll get paid really well for the first fight against AJ. They'll get a huge rub. They'll probably get an auto rematch where they'll get paid even better. And they'll take away the mystique, like at least with the casuals. I'm not saying I favor Usyk to do that right now, but in this heavyweight division, fortune favors the bold. I mean, there's a pathway for Usyk to become a UK draw and get the AJ fight before Fury or Wilder. Do it. This is going to be a fun ride on the business side. I'm going to enjoy every second of it, even if it takes six months or even 12 to see the bigger fights. Trust me, the wait will be worth it. Now that there are three guys, and even maybe four, <clears throat> I mean, even one of them could get upset or something. We're going to be in for a treat, though. This is going to be really exciting now that the stakes are this high. All right. Let's move on to the preview section. On Saturday, February 23rd, we have a lot of boxing, but not a lot of good boxing. Let's start on FS1 with the Anthony Durrell Avni Yildirim fight for the vacant WBC super middleweight title. Also, Jamal James versus Yanir Gonzalez at welterweight. Durrell is about a 5 or 6 to 1 favorite here. Uh, yawn. I don't really care about this fight. James is all over the place. I mean, he's as low as 16 to 1, as high as 50 to 1. I'm interested in getting some more data really on who is going to watch FS1 fights how they're going to perform this year. I'm not really interested in watching this card. ESPN Plus is showing a UK fight card where the main event is Anthony Yard versus Travis Reeves at light heavyweight. I don't really care much for the rest of the card. I'm not even sure how much I care about watching Anthony Yard. He's really got to show me something here. I mean, he's a crazy favorite. So I really would appreciate it if he made quick work here and I'll hang out with my kid a little bit longer. DAZN is bringing us a show from Tijuana where Brandon Rios is fighting Umberto Soto at junior middleweight and Jose Quinero takes on Joel Cordoba at bantamweight. I've done a 180 on the Bam Bam Soto fight. I mean, I initially thought it was sad, 
but now I think I'm looking to it more than any other fight this weekend. You know, Rios is about an eight to one favorite here, although I think Soto has several clear paths to victory. You know, including the what could be sad here, which is Rios's chin is, you know, going to fail him at some point. This might be it. I mean, I think basically, you know, the, the really crazy thing is with both these fighters, all their future opponents are going to be lab dogs if 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 these guys are in the ring and favored. At the same time, these are seasoned vets. Unlike some of the fights that happened this previous weekend, like with Omar Figueroa, these guys take the sport seriously. It could turn out to be a really fun one. Showtime probably is the best card. It's from London, where James DeGale is fighting Chris Eubank Jr. at super middleweight, and Lee Selby is fighting Omar Douglas at lightweight. Also on the card, Joe Joyce in a really interesting step-up fight versus Bermain Stavern at heavyweight. DeGale Eubank could be interesting, but I also think it has the strong potential to be really boring. I mean, it is a really close fight. The odds basically say it's even odds. Maybe Eubank Jr. favored slightly, but nothing's higher than minus 150 here. For me, what dampens my enthusiasm is no matter who wins, I'm not really that confident that anything is going to come out of it. I'm probably most interested in watching Joe Joyce fights Devern because, you know, Joyce is a little bit older for a prospect and has a weird style that I'd like to see against some tougher opponents. Um, he's like a big 25 to 1 favorite, but, you know, even if he wins by knockout, I mean, a lot of that is just based on how Stavern has looked. You know, not just recently, but I mean, you know, he's, he looked horrible at his last outing. I mean, I think we'll learn something here either way. If we do get a really good in-shape Stavern, we'll learn a lot. Then on Saturday, March 2nd, Showtime putting on a card from New York where Brian Castano takes on Aristandi Lara for the regular WBA junior middleweight title, whatever that means. And then... Luis Ortiz fighting Christian Hammer at heavyweight. And Ricardo Nunez was supposed to fight Edna Cherry, but I think Cherry's pulling out with an injury. This is really the end of a noteworthy run of events for Showtime and not really noteworthy in a good way. It'll be five consecutive weeks of boxing with nothing particularly standing out here. Like I said in the beginning, some of that is bad luck with Abner Morris getting hurt. Some of that is circumstance because it's clear Showtime... Um, had their weird schedule at the beginning of the year, and then they have to wait out some of these initial PBC matchups on Fox to make the fights that they want to make. But remember, in the greater context of what Showtime is doing, and based on what they did last year, we've just were expecting better than two mediocre US-based fight cards, a semi-interesting foreign fight card, a bunch of showbox cards, and one pay-per-view. And when you actually factor in how inactive Showtime was towards the end of 2018, this is like a longer run now without some bigger level consistent fights. I mean, I will say all this in the context, like Showtime clearly had a great 2018. So maybe some of this is just timing, but Showtime is also 15 bucks a month. And I'm sure it wasn't in their plans to be into March of 2019 without a signature event happening so far. And I'm not counting a January pay-per-view as a signature event. I'm saying on the network. I have full confidence in them to rebound and start showing some stronger stuff here. But we've gotten a lot of filler in 2019 so far. 
Dizone also has a weird UK card that day. It's not really interesting to me on the surface. All right. Um, as I mentioned, I've already basically got my deep dive for next episode done. It's I'm basically going to look at how we got here, how we got to this crazy place that we're at. I've looked, I've never really looked at it on the whole, and I think it's just good context to think about. I hope I didn't ramble too much for this. I sort of had to like furiously write it based on changing information constantly. So I hope I hope you guys enjoy it, and I hope it's not too deep of a nerdy dive into just this one little thing, but. This is what it is. In my next article, I'm going to write an article probably coming out next week or the week after and just look at what Fox has done on with their TV ratings so far. I think there's been – I think we, we it's just been so long since we've seen boxing on network TV. I want to add some context for it. Um, and And, I mean, you guys know from listening to this. I haven't been in love with what they're doing, but I do think there's some positive stuff too. And I want to try to point out as much, you know, good and bad as I can. And just give context to what, and, and some of this also comes down to what a viewer really means. I think that's probably for another podcast. Anyways, I'm rambling here at the end. I don't think anyone's going to enjoy the fights this weekend. Maybe there's one of them that turns out to be good. I'm not even sure we're going to enjoy the fights next weekend in March. But come March 9th, I'm really psyched about the Porter Ugas fight on on Fox on PBC. And then look, the Spence, you know, Spence Garcia is a really interesting fight no matter which way you look at it. I think Spence is gonna win by knockout. Um, I think most people probably agree with me. Uh, I love dare to be great moments. That is what Mikey Garcia is doing. So I will take a, a, a look at that. So some cool stuff coming up, maybe not the next two weeks, but after that. Enjoy the fights, guys. Talk to you later. Did you get what you was looking for?